0: Welcome to the NBA Morning Deuce. It is Sunday night, January 3rd. It is the first NBA Morning Deuce of 2021. Happy New Year to everybody. Hopefully, you all had a great long New Year's weekend, had a great safe New Year's Eve, New Year's celebration, and now we are back. We are ready to roll. The NBA season after Sunday night's games, which just finished, the Golden State Warriors just beat the Portland Trailblazers 137-122 in a wild game that I'll get to in just a few seconds. With these games being done, we are now just about 10% of the way through the season, which seems wild to think, but because it's a 72-game season, a lot of teams have played seven or eight games, we're (laughs) we're already 10% through the regular season And it's been fun already. Um, It's not just the first episode of 2021. It's also the first solo deuce of 2021. Alex is on assignment tonight. He has been called elsewhere. So it is just your boy. It's just me, Joey. I'm going to go through Sunday night's slate of games. And then our new Sunday tradition. I'm going to solo give you my week two of the NBA season overreactions And a few of them come off of some of the games from today. So the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to see how this goes. I'm going to see if I can make this all work correctly. I'm going to go through some of the games that, um, some that didn't matter as much, some that I didn't really focus on because of people not playing and injuries. Um, And then the last three games I'll go through will correlate to my three, three of my four overreactions from the second week of the season and we'll see how this goes, but I'm going to have a little bit of fun talk about the NBA cuz it was a it was a great today Sunday in particular, great day of games. A lot of fun games, a lot to get to and like I said, I think the first one regardless of where I was going to go with all these games, got to start with the last game of the day, which was the Warriors versus the Blazers and that's because Steph Curry dropped a season high 62 points on the Portland Trailblazers, 18 of 31 from the field, eight of 16 from three. He took 19 free throws, made 18 of them. Um, The Warriors are now three and three. So first and foremost in this is I've been, (laughs) I've been banging on the Warriors about how bad they are. And for, for certain reasons, I'll explain why I, I, this doesn't, this is not going to be one of my overreactions. I'm not going to tell you that the Warriors are back because of this game, but 3 and 3 is better than i thought they'd be at this point after watching them the first couple games where they looked awful. Uh the main thing from this is i'm just happy for Steph. I'm happy to see Steph because the if you if you're on twitter, if you're on nba twitter, if you follow the way nba fans think, there's been a lot of talk about uh Steph Curry and the Warriors struggling early in in the season and a certain portion of the of the NBA fandom saying, well Steph doesn't have anybody around him and then another portion saying, well look at all the teams and it's always this thing where you got to compare them to another player. So look at what LeBron did with bad teams. LeBron's teams are great. So saying, you know, Steph Steph's washed, Steph did all his greatness with other great players. Well, Steph's pretty fucking great no matter no, no matter what way you look at it. 62 points, there's a good chance, there's a very I mean there's it's almost a certainty there won't be a—I mean, Dame did it three times last year, so there's no way—I can't say it's a certainty. Dame had 60 points three times last year. And the way players score in the NBA now, anything's possible. But on any given year, 62 points is the leading point total in an entire NBA season. He did it in the sixth game of the year for the, for the Warriors. So, you know, incredible performance by him. Uh, another thing, you know— Draymond Green now has been back for a couple games. He has yet to make a field goal. He had one point tonight, uh, of a free throw. He went one for two from the line. But there's definitely a, a noticeable difference defensively. Uh, I think it, again, NBA Twitter was, I think, maybe over exaggerating it a little bit. Like their defense is better with Draymond for sure than it was. Uh, but they still gave up 122 to the blazers which is not anything you know, it's not terrible but then you know you look at this game and it's like Steph Curry had 62 and they would never it was never really they never pulled away until the very end it always looked like the blazers had a real shot to come back and it took Steph basically scoring half of their 137 points for them to pull this game out they won by 15 137-122 uh, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dump on it because it's such an incredible game. The story here is Steph, but I, I'm not totally bought in on the Warriors. On, on uh, this is not going to change. Steph Curry is is what we what we have talked about on this podcast. What we know he is. He's one of the best players in the NBA, and there and there's no doubt, right? And he's one of, and he is the best shooter of all time. So it's good to see all the talk. He's even had questions about LeBron. There's there's just like it's good to see cuz you know these guys are on social media you know they see the talk so it's good to see a guy who's had all these people saying stuff about him come out and put 62 up no matter what and it's just fun fun for you know second week of the season we get a 62 point game and Steph versus Dame Dame in himself had had 32 points he had a he had a, a good he played well in the second half uh you know them to him and McCollum combined for sixty. Cantor had twenty four and twelve. I mean the, the Blazers. You know, I've been questioning the Derek Jones thing and can they can they sustain anything in the Western Conference this year with Derek Jones and Carmel Anthony and Robert Covington being their main wings? Derek Jones sixteen minutes, five fouls, didn't play a ton. Uh, Robert Covington also a non factor on the offensive end. So. They, they have some things to figure out, but obviously anytime a guy scores 62 points on you, you're not going to win. It's just not going to happen. But the fact that they fought and kept it oh, kept st- stuck around as long as they did with a guy scoring 62, I don't know who it says more about because it is still pretty early in the year. Does it say more about the Blazers fighting or does it say more about the deficiencies of the Warriors offense? Kelly Oubre, another one of five from, from three. Andrew Wiggins, another one of five from three. Uh, as a team, 13 of 34 from three, but eight of those 13 is Steph who went eight of 16. So outside of Steph, this team still cannot shoot the ball. Uh, they still have a very weak bench, but Draymond is getting back into the flow. He had eight assists, one turnover. Uh, it'll be interesting if he has regressed even more in the scoring department. How do you reconcile his inability to score the ball with him? as Is, is he your point guard now and Steph's your two? I don't know. It's a weird year. It's a weird situation for them. They're 3-3. and I said they're not a playoff team. I'm probably going to stick with that, but I guess anything's possible with Steph. Like, they they could go on. They could. He could be. But he's not going to do this every night. But they're also. But the Blazers are a good team, so they're going to play some bad teams. You know, Steph. Steph was one of the favorites at the beginning of the year to win MVP. And if he does this kind of stuff, it's going to. I mean, he's going to be in that talk. Uh, so we'll see how it goes going forward, but just fun to see Steph doing Steph things after it looked like this was going to be a really long, tough year for them. So good for him. Um, all right, let's go through a few games from Sunday that there's really nothing, there's no like major surprises in them. It's just pretty much you, you come to things that you probably expected. I'll start with Lakers-Grizzlies. Lakers win 108-94. Uh, you know, Grizzlies... It's going to be an up and down year for them. No John Morant, you know their leading scorer is Kyle Anderson with 18 points. It's it's just there's nothing here to talk about. LeBron, uh, no no, uh, Kentavious Caldwell Pope for the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma starts, and you know the Lakers just it, what what else is there to say? LeBron near triple double, 22, 13, and eight. You know the thing about LeBron, and I think Alex picked LeBron as his MVP pick this year and. Besides from the fact that it's it's going to be hard for either LeBron or Anthony Davis to ever win MVP on the same team, I think there's also going to be a lot of games like this, where they just blow teams out and they they don't play as many minutes, so the numbers are not quite what they need to be to be MVP. So if I had any if there's any takeaway here, it's maybe it's that it's just that like they're just so much better than most teams that by the end of games, just there's no reason to play these guys and just rest them. We we already know what they are. Is like what do we? what we, what is there to say? The Grizzlies, every game, when we talk about the Grizzlies going forward until John Morant gets back, every, every game is just going to be like, what are we evaluating? We're evaluating a bunch of role players who really are not good without John Morant. So now, I mean, their are two franchise players are not playing. So there's not, there's really not much to say, which is really unfortunate for a well-coached young team that could have been a fun team this year. But like I said, you know, it's, Seven, six games for them now. They've played six games. They're two and four, and you, you're gonna play a bunch of games with that John Morant. You're gonna dig yourself into a hole. It, it's unfortunate, but you know, hopefully, when he comes back, they can be. It's gonna take him a little while too, because it was an ankle, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad situation for them. But Lakers are five and two. Uh, there's only one team ahead of them right now in the standings. Well, now, now they're tied with um with the Suns in this at the top of the Western Conference the Suns who lost tonight who I'll talk about here in a second so it's Clippers Suns and Lakers all 5 and 2 with a couple with like four other two lost teams right behind them but they're the one in the win column 5 and 2 5 and 2 5 and 2 for those three teams which is interesting because I will be talking about Phoenix and LA here in a second the Phoenix thing is very interesting to me right now uh Spurs Jazz Jazz win 130-109. Another game. Spurs are without LaMarcus Aldridge again. I think that's either the second or third time game in a row he hasn't played. They're just not as good without him. They already aren't that great. So anytime they lose a game like this, it's not overly surprising to me. The Jazz shot 21 of 41 from three. Uh, That's an absurd, unsustainable number. Uh, them winning this game against the Spurs is not surprising to me. Them winning by 21 is a little surprising to me because the Spurs are a competitive team, but this is what happened. If you shoot 21 21 of 41 from 3, 51% as a team is absolutely absurd. It's just not really a sustainable thing. Uh they won't it won't continue, but this is this is the Jazz. They it, they're a defensive minded team who can get hot from three and have some decent scorers but you know they're four and two right now it's they they, there's nothing watching them there's nothing about them that impresses me I've talked about it a few times on the show already there's nothing about them that has to me has changed from last year which I guess for some teams is probably a good thing like there's that continuity but also for a team like the Jazz when I say there's nothing has changed from last year there's nothing about this team that Makes me consider them a threat to do anything in the Western Conference. So, you know, this is a good win for them. Twenty-one of forty-one is is a wild number. Uh, you'll you 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 probably won't have very many games where you make that many threes and shoot that well from three in an entire season. So that might be their best game of the year offensively. Who who knows? Um, but the Spurs, and then it's, yeah, with the Spurs, Keldon Johnson's been really impressive for them. I think coming at, kind of out of nowhere, I don't think he was the guy that people, I guess maybe San Antonio people did. it. I don't, didn't know much about. I know he's a Kentucky kid and he was their, I want to say he was their first round pick last year, but he looks like he's really developed into a really nice offensive player for them. Uh, 22 points, seven rebounds. Uh, he, he's really having a nice year. I, like, I, let me look at, try to, I'm going to try to look at his stats while I'm doing this, but. I would think if this is his second year, he's got to be a guy who already is looking at a potential most improved player uh, situation. Now, what will end up happening is probably what happened to Devontae Graham last year, which is the Spurs aren't going to be very good, so he may not get the credit that he should. But last year, Keldon Johnson played 17 games, averaged nine points, three rebounds, um, I mean, he shot 59% from three, but he only took one a game. Uh, but he was, so basically he was really only playing like scrap minutes. I would imagine for this team or spot minutes, wherever Where now he's a starter. He started all five games. He's averaging 15 a game, seven rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal and a half. And he's shooting 43% from three. That that kind of jump is definitely most improved player type of numbers. Uh, we'll see what, you know, how voters look at it because, a lot of people thought Devontae Graham, who had a much his numbers were different. I mean, Devontae averaged like nineteen and and nine or something like that last year. was one of the best assist guys in the league and shot the ball really well. So, but the but the Hornets were bad, so he didn't get much credit. We'll see how you know things are things change in the NBA. I think once. And, and voters, the media, the guys who vote, they have a tendency to, they, you know, media are the people who are on Twitter and read what people say. And a lot of people crushed the voters for not voting Devontae Graham more. So, will that impact the way voters vote on most improved player this year when it comes to a guy like this? Like, if Keldon Johnson continues to get better and better and averages 15, 16, 17 points, eight rebounds, and shoots 40 plus percent from three will he be most improved player on a Spurs team that seems like almost certainly will not be a playoff team. That'll be something to watch for them going forward. Um, All right, the Nuggets, another blowout here. Nugget, not surprisingly, because the Nuggets uh, Nuggets blow out the T-Wolves, 124-109. It's only the Nuggets' second win of the year, so maybe something that'll get them going. Joel Murray, another 36 on 13 of 20 from the field. Nikola Jokic, another triple-double, 19 points, 12 assists, 12 rebounds, leading the league in assists, uh, triple-double machine, going to be in the MVP voting if he continues to, ha- to do what he's doing right now, and uh, assuming they get back on track and win a bunch of games like they always do. Uh, but Tim, T-Wolves, no, Cat's uh, still out. Another game, another... Small market team, another team that looked like they had some promise in the first couple games that they were just crushed by losing their best player. Um, and and Carl uh, Anthony Towns, you know, w- was playing really well in the first couple games and looked like, you know, maybe this was going to be the year that things turned around a, at least a little bit for these guys. And now with no cat, they have just fallen off a cliff and they're getting pounded out every night. And it's unfortunate because... You know, that's the guy, We we, at least us on this show, we're rooting for Cat. We really want to see him do well. So it sucks to see them continue to get just thumped without him. Uh, It is good to see our guy Jamal Murray up, you know, 36 points in 36 minutes, turning it around because he was struggling early on in the year. No Michael Porter Jr. in this game. Let's see, why was Michael Porter Jr.? Not with the team health and safety protocols, all right? So we got some COVID going on. Potentially, uh, a uh, maybe he was in contact with somebody. We don't know. But if it's health and safety protocols on the box score, then that usually means it's COVID protocol. Uh, so Michael Porter Jr. didn't play. Will Barton got the start. six rebounds, 6 assists. I love that guy. Uh, this team's going to be really good. I just, they're still not playing bull bowl, bowl. He can't, he just can't, he, he just can't find the court. The guy can't find the court. I, I don't know what it is. Early in the game, the T-Wolves were actually winning this game. Um, they, had a, they had a lead very early, but I don't know. I don't know why they don't trust him. Can't wait. He's going to light the league on fire when it happens. But Facundo Campazzo, 15 points, 5 of 7 from 3, 2 assists, 1 turnover. He played 21 minutes in this game. That's interesting. Uh, maybe he's, I don't, you know, him and Monty Morris, they're both point guards. But I guess with no Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton being, you know, one of their main kind of wing players off the bench, maybe this that opened the door for Composo to have more minutes. PJ Dozier also played twenty minutes in this game. Uh, and yeah, the Nuggets are gonna be fine. The Nuggets are gonna be out. Right. They're gonna win a bunch of games in the West. Uh, so, you know. Good game for, for Jokic and Murray. Fun to, fun to see them doing well. All right, the last game on the slate. Let me just make sure here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. Yeah, the last game on the slate that, again, really l- less important is uh, the Mavericks lose to the Bulls without Luka. Um, Luka sat... Uh, with injury left quadricep contusion so he was a he did not dress um, and it was a shootout you know when Luka Doncic doesn't play it was exactly what you thought it was a, the classic Zach Levine Jalen Brunson shootout in this one that Jalen Brunson finished for the Mavs with 31 points on 11 of 17 shooting from the field in 37 minutes started obviously for Luca uh Zach Levine as I mentioned was big in this one 39 for Zach Levine yeah I think he had 26 in the 26 or something in the first half it, it was a it you know and really for the Mavs 31 points from Jalen Brunson they only scored 108 they only scored 108. They got, and then the Bulls got 62 from Kobe White and Zach Levine, and they finished with 118. Oof. These are some bad teams without Luka. Um, Bulls are still, Bulls are young, but that, that's three three and four for the Bulls. Good for them. You know, they're still figuring things out. Uh, still no Lowry in for them, who is in the health and safety protocol, along with uh, Chandler Hutchinson, who's self-isolating according to this, and Thomas Sadoransky, who's self-isolating according to this. So it's it's interesting because maybe I maybe I'm just missing this but I feel like when in the N, with NFL games when guys either test positive or there's con- they make a big deal out of it but it seems like in the NBA you know it's just like sort of flying under the radar like these guys are just like health and safety protocol right, who's? or maybe it's just been so normalized by the NFL because the NFL has been doing it for a while now and there's so many games in the NBA that it's like all right, this is what we expected, so we're going through it. Either way, it's good. The games are going off and, and things are fine, and we it hasn't really impacted any team that much yet. I mean, I would say the team that it impacted the worst was probably the Rockets for those first couple games, and they seem all right. They've won they're they're now two and two. So uh good for the league. It seems like we're two weeks, we're about I mean, we're just are we we're entering week three. We're ten percent of the way through the regular season, and the protocols seem to be working, so that's good. But this game means zero means nothing other than the fact that the Mavs are another one of these teams, like the Grizzlies, um, like the T Wolves, that in a low in a Western Conference where there's a lot of ways the five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten can shake out. How many games can they afford to lose while they're waiting for Porzingis to come back too? Right, he's still coming back from his knee injury. Uh, can't, how far behind can they fall? They're obviously, I think, st- a playoff team still without him. But what type of you know last are they gonna? Can they get a top five, four or five seed without him? I don't think so. I don't even think they're particularly close. So, and then losing games like this, th- th- it all is going to count, especially in a shortened season. But uh, I'm I'm assuming Luca will be back soon. I will say this. I did notice this the other day, and I've heard some people talk about this uh, about Luca, and maybe it's just because he was like he's been like the new shiny object for the NBA, and he's been one of the guys that people just have fallen in love with. But um, man, he is—he has taken, I mean, the, the the complaining thing to another level. Like that guy complains. Like I mean. Great players complain. It just is what it is. Like LeBron complains a lot. He talks to the refs a lot. P- players complain, but and I know Luca had a great year last year, but he's in his third year, and I know he's one of the future faces, potentially the face of the NBA. Man, he complains about everything. He complains about everything. Uh and it, you know, eventually it's gotta I feel like eventually it's gotta calm down. Like I would imagine he's going to start getting teed up at some point because he just talks and talks and talks and he gets really angry. Like the last game I watched, not this game, last game. And I wonder if he hurt himself. He kicked, he got so mad. He kicked the score table or like the, the baseline table and broke it and like broke the led board. Like, I don't like, is he's taking, is Luca taking steroids? Is that why he's so like jacked up and, and I mean, he is strong, but uh, yeah, he's got to chill out. But yeah, the Mavs, so they, they dropped to two and four. Uh, so we'll see how it goes going forward for them uh, uh, without, you know, without Porzingis. They've been up and down this year, 50 point win to the Clippers. And then they've lost some games that they probably should have won. So it'd be interesting to see how they go going forward. All right. The last three games of the night, which also coincide with uh, some of my overreactions, from week two, my my actual reactions. The first one is Clippers beat the Suns 112-107, but it, 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 the, the amazing thing about this game is the Clippers had a 31-point lead in the first half over the Suns. 31-point lead, and with at least, with maybe two minutes left in the fourth quarter, it looked like the Suns were going to win that game. I even texted Alex At the, because Steph Curry was going off and I was switching back and forth on league pass between games. And I texted Alex at, you know, we were texting with each other and he's like, God, I wish because he's, he's working. He was like, I wish I could flick over to this Steph Curry game because I want to see what he does. And I said, I'm sticking with this Suns game because I think the Suns are coming back and winning this game. That was at the end of the third quarter. And then they cut it and they opened up the fourth quarter on a 12-0 run and it was close. I mean, (laughs) they were right there. Uh. And it took a huge game from Paul George at thirty nine, seven of ten from three, uh, for them to 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 hang on and win that game. It took a big game. This team, you know, we're only we're seven games in. They're five and two, tied at the top of the West with the Lakers and the Suns. Um, but they're going to start to get this reputation as it and and reputation. Who cares? I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter if you look around the league and you say, oh, well. Who cares what the reputation is? But I feel like, you know, uh, blowing a 3-1 lead last year in the playoffs, which wasn't that long ago. This is basically the same team. 50-point um, loss to a, a average, at best right now, Mavs team. And now giving up a 31-point lead in, in this, I understand it's a regular season, but they're going to develop this reputation around the league. It seems to me to other teams that no matter what you're going to, they're going to say to themselves like, "We're never out of it," because this team seems to just, you know, give up at certain points. Um, it's obviously not a good reputation to have because, you know, like when you're up thirty-one, you want to have a reputation of we step on their throat and it's over. But now, you know, it's becoming a recurring theme with this team. And meanwhile, their other coach, you know, meanwhile, Doc Rivers is out there in Philly at 5-1 and, and Ty Lue 5-2, but up and down. Kawhi Leonard, 4 of 21 from the field. He tried to start the game without his, um, without his mask, his, that crazy mask that he's wearing, and they made him put it on. I wonder if it's really, really bothering him. 4 of 21 from the field is crazy. That's really bad for Kawhi. That's really bad for anybody, but then particularly for Kawhi because he he was missing some really easy shots in the paint and mid range jumpers that are generally automatic for him. Uh, but really, they won this game. They survived this game. They didn't win. They survived this game because Paul George had 39, and especially in the first half, just looked at, 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 like out of his mind. But really, my and I'll get in. My, But really, that's not even my where my overreaction is from this game. My overreaction coming out of week two is the Suns are the third best team in the Western Conference to me right now. Uh, and that's the Lakers are obviously one, the Clippers right now are two, and then the Suns are three. And obviously the record shows that. But I think that there's probably a lot of people that would look at the standings or that would look at the West and... Potentially say, like, you know, maybe Utah is a little better because they've proven it. And the Nuggets, even though they're two and four, they're the, but to like watching this team, they are, they are so legit watching them. Uh, obviously, they were, they are tied. They, they were tied entering Sunday for the best record in the NBA at five and one with the Sixers. Now they're five and two. So they're tied at the top of the West in the standings. But that's really not what has impressed me with them. Right, their defense is totally different. Right, so another year with Monty Williams, but you could see the difference that Chris Paul has on this team from a mentality standpoint. Entering Sunday, and I'm assuming because the Clippers only scored 112 points, it's not like they blew out the Suns on Sunday, but entering Sunday, the Suns were first in the league in opponents' points per game. And second in defensive rating. Since Devin Booker was drafted, the Suns have never been higher than 17th in defense rating, which was last year. So obviously they got a little better last year. And now with Chris Paul, and you could just see it. It's There were stretches in the game where Chris Paul was guarding Kawhi. There were stretches in the game. They switch a lot. So there were stretches in the game where Chris Paul was guarding Paul George. And that dude is an absolute pest, and he guards those guys better than a lot of wing players can guard those guys. It was, it's so, if you don't get to watch him all the time, which, you know, last year he was on Oklahoma City, so if you don't, if you, you know, they're never going to be on national TV. This year he's on the Suns, they're a little more fun, so they might get some more national TV games, but if you don't get to watch Chris Paul on a regular basis, you probably don't appreciate because, you know, his whole thing is great, you know, leading the league in assists, or top 5 in assists every year, scores the ball, mid-range game, but his defense is absurd. He just he's so he's so tough for his size and he plays such scrappy basketball. So there I mean, yes, it's an overreaction seven games into the season. But you know, third in net rating, seventh in three-point percentage coming into the into the uh coming into Sunday. Six players scoring in double figures and Devin Booker has yet to even really get off in this offense. Like he's only averaging 20 points a game. And we know, I mean, the guy scored 70 points in an NBA game. We saw what he did in the bubble last year. Uh, we know what he's capable of doing when it matters. So as this team gets more comfortable with each other, we'll see that average go up and up and up. And he'll start having some huge, huge games. But right now, six players scoring double figures. And I also, you know, would like, to, I also point out the starting, basically front court of, or wing, they're starting wings of Jay Crowder and Miles and uh, Mikael Bridges, uh, it's it allows them to do so many different things defensively. But both of those guys are plus defenders who can knock down threes. They have built a remarkably like cohesive team around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, who looked like an absolute uh, beast in this game up against the Clippers. He had 24 points, uh, eight rebounds. You know, he couldn't, he was getting offensive rebounds, put backs nine of twelve from the field, six of seven from the line. I mean, he, he looked great. He is a massive human being. Like he made Serge Ibaka look kind of small. And he's still pretty limited in terms of what he can do offensively, but with Chris Paul and the way this this game, these this team is spaced, it it, it looks really good for him. And 24 and 8 is, is a nice game for him. Um I mean, just everyone who comes off the bench can shoot. Cam Payne, the point guard who played really well in the bubble, still playing well for them. Cameron Johnson looked awful in the first half, and then just comes in in the second half and knocks down threes. He's going to be one of the better shooters in the league at one point. At some point, Dario Saric, two of five from three, he had 15 for them. Like, so they have this really interesting, really fun starting lineup that all it just sort of fits perfectly. And then everyone who comes off the bench can shoot the ball. Uh, and and they're not even playing all their like. Not everyone is even playing. You know, like Etoan Moore is a pretty competent role player who just doesn't even play for them. Frank Kaminsky, competent role player who just doesn't even play. Uh, it, they're, they're really – they have a chance to be a really, really good team. I will say with the switching stuff, at some point, they're probably going to have to figure out – they were switching one through five in stretches in this game. And they probably are going to have to figure that out because DeAndre Ayton would get – got. there was a couple times in the fourth quarter where DeAndre Ayton got switched on to Paul George, and that's just not going to work. Like Paul George scored five in a row on DeAndre Ayton off switches, and that's the difference in the game. I mean they lost by five. But other than that, which that's the type of stuff that will obviously get worked out with Chris Paul and Monty Williams. I have no problem, and it is an overreaction because it's so than in the year, but I have no problem putting these guys as my third best team in the West already. Um, another game from tonight that leads into one of my overreactions is the Nets losing to the Wizards. Uh, Wizards have now won two in a row. Russell Westbrook didn't for the first time, did not get a triple double, but he had 24 points, 10 assists, five rebounds. Brad Beal had another 27 and 10 rebounds. Thomas Bryant, who's looked great for them, 21 and 14, nine of 12 from the field, Uh, uh, you know, I will say before I get into talking about the Nets, who are my overreaction, uh, the Wizards are way too talented to not be a playoff team and potentially even be like a top five or six team in the, like, they just have too much talent. And now we're seeing with Rui Hachimura, who looked really good against the Nets, getting healthy and playing, Davis Bertans, starting to get healthy and getting into the flow. We're seeing what this team can really be. So... I'm not counting them out just yet, even though last week I was talking about how we way overrated them. And maybe we did overrate them saying they were like a top four team in the East, but they're so talented. Like Brad Beals just so good. I don't see how this team can't be a playoff team. They it just would, it would be still shocking to me if they didn't. As far as the Nets go, um, here's my overreaction with the Nets. The Nets, seven games into the season are on the brink of being in panic mode already. I really believe that they're now three and four. They've lost four of their last five. I think three of four since Dinwiddie went out, or maybe four. I don't remember when Dinwiddie went out, but they're de- they've lost four of five. Um, their only win in the past five, it, they had to score 145 points because the Hawks put up 141 on them. The first Since the first two games where their defense looked like they knew what they were doing, uh, they were 11th in defensive rating. They are 11th, coming into Sunday, 11th in defensive rating on the season. Uh, after Christmas, so after the first two games, since then, they're 25th in the league in defensive rating. And I can't imagine giving up 123 to the Wizards is going to help that cause. So maybe it'll be worse after Sunday. Uh, so, th- I mean, they looked... They, I at points Rui Hachimura looked like one of the most unstoppable post players in the NBA. Uh, Thomas Bryant couldn't be stopped. I mean, the the two of them combined were fifteen of twenty three from the field. They couldn't. I mean, Wizards had fifty eight points in the paint. Uh, Kyrie Irving looks like the like just an abs- absolutely absurd, absurd defensive liability. Like <laughs> it's just. Uh, it's just so bad defensively. And speaking of Kyrie Irving, he's played in six games in the first three games he played. He had, he was, he averaged 29, 61% from the field and 56% from three. And in the last three, he's averaged 24 a game shooting 38% from the field and 24% from three. So this is the Kyrie Irving that I've told you guys about that. There's going to be flashes of absolute greatness. And then he's going to go on stretches where he's terrible but when he's terrible, you know, in his mind, there's got to be somebody else's fault. There's someone else to blame it on. But he has been awful. Like, don't just look at the scoring numbers. Because he had 30 on Sunday, but he was 2 of 7 from 3. Um, five turnovers. He's he he he's been really bad the last three games. And he sat in the Memphis game that they lost. That was when him and KD both sat. So, obviously, that, understandable that they lost that game. But... He's been really bad the last three games, efficiency-wise. And this is the Kyrie that I know. And he's also taking more shots than Kevin Durant. Um, and now Katie's getting to the line a lot, so that's part of it. But he's taking more shots than Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant is still shooting above 50% from, from the field, averaging close to 30, getting close to triple-doubles every night. Kevin Durant's doing what Kevin Durant does. Kyrie Irving is shooting more. He's less efficient. He's still getting the same points. They're losing games. They've lost four or five. And, you know, obviously you can't hit the panic button yet. It's only four games in. They're, you know, we look at around certain, we look at situations like LeBron. Like LeBron, every time he goes to a new team and you put together these super teams, his team struggle in the beginning. And that's a fair thing if, if you look at it that way. But as much as I love Kevin Durant, this is a real test for him too because KD played on OKC his whole career and they never struggled, right early on. Other than his first couple of years in the league when they weren't good, but once they started getting it going, they never struggled early on. And then he went to the Warriors where they were already the best team in NBA history in the regular season, so they weren't going to struggle early on. Um, now he's the leader of a team that's supposed to be dominant and could be dominant, and offensively they're they're nearly they could be unstoppable. But they're struggling. They're three and four. Can they turn it around? Then you have, and and I'm not sure if that's the case. Like LeBron is a different beast. And as as much as I've said, Kevin Durant's the second best player in the NBA right now, which he is, he's not, there's still another level above that. And it's LeBron. And he's on a level by himself in terms of intelligence and just ability. So I don't know that Kevin Durant is that type of leader like LeBron is to turn to, to Bring a unit together. Can he control Kyrie and overcome whatever the thing that Kyrie brings to a team like LeBron did? And remember, Kyrie was not a champion at that time. And Kyrie uh, was a younger player at that time. So the dynamic there will be interesting. It's also Steve Nash, right? Steve Nash, you know, will he be able to coach this team defensively? Number one. Number two, if we're going to compare it to like a Steve Kerr or someone like that, historically hall of fame, great hall of fame players are not great coaches. It's just, it's not a normal thing. You know, Larry Bird was really good. But other than that, you know, Jason Kidd was an absolute disaster. I mean, there's been other guys, but just like hall of fame, first ballot, top level guys like that haven't been great coaches. Now, Steve Nash has one of the most talented rosters in the NBA, if not the most top to bottom talented roster in the NBA that should help. Now they've lost 4 or 5 How do they adjust? How do they react? Like, wh- what happens now? So you're not hitting the panic button yet, but being 3-4 and four after seven games and losing 4 or 5 with this team against the competition that you've played against, let's keep in mind, the only teams that the Nets have played in the top half of the league defensively is the Hornets. That's the only game they've played. Every other team is in the bottom half of the league defensively. Their next two games are Utah and Philadelphia. Utah is 12th in the league in defense, and we know what they are. They're a great defensive team every year because of Rigo Bear, and that's just what they do. And then Philly is the top defensive team in the NBA right now. So we really get to see what happens with this Sixers team now in these next two games where they're playing probably two of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and also can they stop them, right? Because right now, they're going in these shootout games where they're barely losing or they're barely winning, can they stop one of these great defensive teams and also score 125 points a night on these great defensive teams? It'll be interesting. These next two games, I think, are really key for these for the Nets. Uh, you can't go on big losing streaks when you're this good. It just can't happen. There's going to be some huge—I mean, it's going to be a major, major reaction, especially because right now the Nets are 3-4 and four and the Knicks are 3-3. Three and three. You can't be in New York— with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and have a worse record than the New York Knicks. It will be unacceptable. It just can't happen. With all the shit talk that's gone on, with everything that's gone on, it just can't happen. So <laughs> it is fascinating. Uh, we'll see. Alex has been, and I'll, I'll be, I'll, I can't wait to hear what he has to say when he comes back tomorrow, but Alex has been beating the drum that this team will fall apart at some point in the season. It's so early in the season to say that, uh, but they look really bad, and 4-5 is really bad for a team that this, that's this talented, and they're about to play two really tough games. Uh, my last my last overreaction based off of the game from today was the early game today, which was Boston barely squeezing it out over Detroit, 122-120. Detroit, it's just going to be a rough year for them. They're 1-5, but the Celtics, um, they're now 4-3. and three. They're starting to get things together. Uh, Kemba Walker still hasn't played for them. So, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, but my overreaction coming out of this game, and it was my overreaction before the game, but this game just sort of uh, just piled onto it. Jalen Brown, I think, talked about before the season that he's a top 20 pushing top 15 type player in the NBA based off of what he did in the playoffs last year. To me, he's a lock top 15. And, and he's on the bubble of the top ten. And it seems crazy, and that's why it's an overreaction after two weeks. But he, again, on Sunday, 31 points on 13 of 16 from the field and 5 of 8 from 3. He was 7th in the NBA in scoring entering Sunday, so he's probably higher than that now. On the season, 28 points per game, 60% from the field, 42.5% from 3. And he's only going to the line five times per game, so he's averaging 28 points per game. 60% 60% from the field on um, incredible that's like Shaquille O'Neal type numbers from the field, averaging that type of points. Uh and he was already one of the best two-way wings in the league because we know he can lock down. We know he's a good defender. And he's just a remarkable player. And and the fun and the crazy thing is, is I'm still can't I still can not i can not put him ahead of Jason Tatum, which is a scary proposition for the rest of the league with these with the age of these guys. Because you see Tatum hits the game winner today. And at the end of the day, in the last couple minutes of a game, I would still rather have the ball in Jason Tatum's hand because I think he is the better natural and more talented scorer. So that makes Jason Tatum the better player because that's a harder skill to find is a guy who can do that at the end of games. Not saying that Jalen Brown can't, just that Tatum is one of the best at it right now. So he's still a better player. But that means that, you know... they might have two top 10 players soon, like very soon. That's crazy. But but Jalen Brown's having an incredible season and this team's only going to get better as they mesh and get Kemba back. But that's, yeah, you know, that's just my overreaction to Jalen Brown. He's, he's, he's a, he's a top 15 player. It's hard to, I mean, it would be hard for anybody to argue against that. You, you might be able to put other guys in there, but the way he's playing right now, it's, there's no question. Uh, my last overreaction, I'll go quick on this one is, uh, they didn't play today, but, Joel, but the Sixers are 5-1, and, and just watching them, seeing some of their games now, watching Joel Embiid, this guy has a legit, legitimate shot to be in the MVP conversation this year. He's averaging 25 points, 13 rebounds, 54% from the field, which, believe it or not, 54% from the field for one of the most dominant post players in the NBA is a career high. And he's averaging 40% from three, which is also a career high. And only three, per, three attempts per game, which is a career low. You've heard me talk about it on here constantly, about how I want him to take less threes. He's taking a career low, he's shooting a better percentage, and he also has his career high field goal percentage. They're 5-1 and one right now. They haven't played a great schedule, right? Wizards, Knicks, Raptors, Hornets, Magic, Cavs, that's not a great schedule. So this could all come crashing down. But they're going to play a lot of bad teams. If they continue to take care of bad teams and he continues to put up numbers, we've seen how MVP voters are. Uh, Giannis, best record in the NBA two years in a row, MVP two years in a row because he had great numbers. If Joel Embiid improves and takes a huge leap this year into what people have always thought he could be and the Sixers are a top two or three team in the East, he's going to be in the defensive conversation or in the MVP conversation, especially when you consider right now, the Sixers have the best defensive rating in the NBA at 99.7. And when B, when Embiid's on the floor, that that's even better at 96.8. When he's off the floor, it gets worse at 101.1. So not only is he dominating on the offensive end, they are dominant on the defensive end when he's in the game. So five games, six games in, overreaction. But he has a legit shot if he continues to play this way to be in the MV- MVP conversation. Plus, Depending on where you go, if you can get it, he's plus 2,800 right now. So, that's a, I mean, that's a value pick if you can go out and you can get that done. Um, Yep, so that's it. Those are my reactions for the week. Let me know what you think. Leave us a, a rating, review, comment if you agree, disagree, whatever. At NBA Morning Deuce, leave me, leave us a note. Uh, I'll get to my let, – let me do my bets for Monday night before we wrap up here. Uh, I, I was 12 and 8. At the end of last week, we didn't have any bets over the weekend. Alex was 10 and 10. I'm going to do three bets. So I'm going to have more games officially on the record than Alex does. But uh, for Monday night, I'm going to go Pacers plus one at New Orleans. Uh, It's an interesting line to me. I I have, I can't, I think the Pacers are a better team and I understand it's on the road. So you get a baked in amount of points if you're the Pelicans, but Pacers are the better team and they're getting a point. So I got to take the Pacers. We'll see how that works out. But. It just seems like it makes more sense to me. Pacers are, are just good. I mean, they're a really good team, and New Orleans is still up and down and figuring things out. So I'm going to go Pacers plus one. I'm going to go Heat minus eight versus Oklahoma City at home, uh, or the Heater at home, so it's Heat minus eight. I think, A, obviously you know how I feel about Oklahoma City. They're, they're terrible. They stink. I think Jimmy Butler is going to come out, assuming he's healthy and playing, which I guess we – he played last game. He just didn't play well. Assuming he's healthy and he's playing – it's going to be one of those like statement-type games for him. He was awful last game, like really, really, really bad. Uh, we've seen in the past where he had really bad games, and he comes back and he just dominates. Uh, and I think the Heat, it's been up and down to start the season. I think they come out at home against a really bad team and have a statement win. Uh, so I'm going to go Heat minus 8, and then I'm going to go... This one's after tonight. It's probably a little bit wild, but... Kings minus two over the Warriors against the Warriors. And I'll say this. I don't buy the Warriors yet. I don't think like the Warriors needed 62 points from Steph Curry to win by 15. Um, And I also told you on here many times, it's going to be really hard for teams to win two in a row on these back-to-back at home situations where they're playing the same team twice within a span of one or two days. The Warriors just lost to the Blazers then came back two days later, and then the Warriors beat the Blazers. I'm not surprised that the Warriors won that game. I'm not buying the Warriors as a good team, and now they're coming off a back-to-back where Steph had 62. I'm going to take the Kings minus two. Those are my picks. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. Appreciate you all sticking with us for another year. Happy 2021 to all you guys. Glad to get all that other stuff in the past. Um Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us. It really does. Really appreciate everyone listening. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Later.